Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, after the lights go out, on Talk Sport. I'm Steve Harmison. I represented England in 63 tests and 58 one-day internationals and won the Ashes twice with my country. And I'm Leon McKenzie. I've experienced life as both a Premier League footballer and professional boxer. In this series, we focus on elite athletes and their transition from their sporting careers to civilian life and the struggles which have followed. Both Leon and I have had issues dealing with day-to-day life since departing the sporting arena. And during this series, we are speaking with several sports personalities who have experienced similar battles following their careers in elite sport. Tonight on TalkSport, we're in conversation with one of Britain's badminton greats, the world, Commonwealth and European gold medalist, the Olympian, Gail Ems. Ems with the privilege of the serve. And that is it. They are the champions of the world. Ems and Robertson. Gail Ems is one of Britain's finest ever badminton players, having achieved great international success in doubles tournaments. Her most notable triumphs came while partnering Nathan Robertson in the mixed doubles, winning gold at the 2006 World Championships in Madrid and 2004 European Championships in Geneva, while at the 2004 Athens Olympics, she returned home with a silver medal. Gail also won gold medals at both the 2002 and 2006 Commonwealth Games, while her achievements on court were recognised in 2009 when she was appointed Member of the Order of the British Empire for services to badminton. We'll be joined by Gail very shortly. Leon, what topics do you see is key in tonight's show? I think we're going to cover a few topics, retirement being one. I've known Gail a few years and I know that there were some you know, mental health issues there dealing with retirement, financial issues, there's probably a big list, but really intrigued to see what her struggles were and get a better understanding from where, where, you know, being an Olympian and being in elite sport, are we all sort of like suffering the the same? So I just, I can't wait to hear what she's got to say. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting conversation. After the lights go out on Talk Sport. Well, let's give a big welcome to tonight's guest on After the Lights Go Out here on TalkSport. It's a very good evening to the wonderful Gail Ems. 
How are you doing, girl? I'm good. Thank long you for having time, me. I long know. Long time. Finally get to, to see you. Yes. Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because obviously we've had a few conversations yeah. in the past mm-hmm. um, after careers and we've done some stuff with LAPS. Yeah. Which is, well, LAPS is life after professional sport, which we was both kind of incorporated with. So on your actual journey... You've enjoyed a super career in badminton, um, winning a host of medals, including Olympic silver. And it came to a close following the 2008 Beijing Olympics. What was your reasons around retiring from the sport? I think that after Athens, I got the silver medal there. And um, I had this, you know, sort of feeling that I could still get better. You know, I knew I could push on. I knew I could improve. And I hated that silver medal in, in a nice way. I hated that silver. I won two gold. And that got me through that four-year cycle. Olympics is a, everything is about four years, and it and it worked. You know, we won European championships, won Commonwealth Games. We were world champions, world number one. So the only thing that was missing was that Olympic gold. And so I knew Beijing was probably going to be it because mentally I was struggling. You know, those last two years of training, it was just it wasn't fun anymore. It was becoming hard work to big myself up to get in that hall to really want to train to push myself that bit more so that's why I knew that Beijing all you know gold medal or nothing and we came fifth and uh, you know sort of after all the press and everything I just sat there and I thought you know what I haven't got that feeling I can get better I knew that was the best I could be and if fifth is my gold medal then that's my gold medal and that's why I just thought you know what just stop because it's my decision I'm retiring because I know that I can't do any more. I've got no regrets, no ifs. To go for another four years at 35, will I get my gold medal? Probably not because, mm. you know, as you get older, we we all know here, you know, your body hurts and, you know, and it gets tougher. It really <laughs> gets tougher. Yeah. And it's not just physical. And that's what's, you know, this is what we want to talk about today. It's, it's mentally tough as well to keep pushing yourself. And I thought, right, that's it. Thank you very much. Next job, next life, whatever it is. So, yeah, mm. I retired then and there. I mean, when you go into that, Steve, we have this conversation many times and it's all about identity. Um, mm-hmm. And I lost mine a little bit when I finished from football. It's like, okay, who am I now? What am I now? Did you have that situation with your identity, obviously retiring? And like you said, oh, let's get a job now. Yeah. What was your purpose now? My dream was to be Olympian, right? So it was so good when I, you know, it was so great for the ego. I could go into a room and go, hello, I'm Gail Ems, Olympic badminton player. And then once you retire, I didn't know if I could still say that. And it was like, how do I introduce myself? Am I just Gail now? Yeah. And that hit me. And it's, you know, I'm happy to talk about ego and I'm, I love my ego. Ego is what got me through, right? But my ego took the biggest, absolute just got ripped out and suddenly I was like I don't know who Gail Ems is I don't know how to introduce myself I've been so almost brainwashed into the only thing that I'm good at is to be a badminton player you're here to win medals and everything that suddenly when you take that away you know when you strip that off I don't know who I was I really didn't no one no one had asked me what I wanted to be or you know what my real purpose in life once Olympics you know and it was just this horrendous lost wilderness and I didn't know I was embarrassed. I was actually, I felt embarrassed. That's that's a good word. I didn't know how to if I deserved to be in a room. You know, I, I understand that. You know, you, you have a ranking, don't you? You know, you have a status. You have. I knew I was where I ranked in the world in badminton, but in normal life, I have no idea. Gail, you mentioned just a second ago about you know the last couple of years and you know do you want to carry on and and stuff like mm. that. Did you have any ambitions in the last couple of years where? 
if I don't go beyond Beijing, what am I going to do? Did you have them thoughts in your head? And also, when you you sort of come to the the conclusion that was it, was there any help for you? Was there any? Because badminton is a well, you, I know you play doubles, but it's. It's not as much money as tennis. That's what you're trying to say, Steve. There's (laughs) not as much money as tennis. Not so much the money point of view. It's just a direction point of view because it's more of an individual sport. I know we'll come on to Olympians in a minute, but it's more of an individual thing where have I got something where I really want to go into next and what's my ambitions for me next when you were going through them last couple of years leading into Beijing? The last two years of my training and... I, you know, I'm very honest about this, but I mentioned this to my coach. I was like, I'm not happy. I'm going to stop in two years. And I was starting to think about what I can do, you know. And I literally got told, don't think about it. You need to focus on the gold medal. Don't worry about that. Leave that alone. You just concentrate on, the, on a gold medal. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. You know, because like, you listen to your mm. coaches, you listen to the important people. But you, you think about the Olympics, the amount of money and the pressure. If an Olympic sport doesn't get that medal, then the whole funding is gone. So you can imagine their pressure. They're like, oh my God, girls thinking about retiring. Oh my God, you know, you can imagine their panic. So I'm not blaming them at all, but that's what happened. I was told basically, don't even think about that. You just get on and train. You get on and focus on that gold medal. You just wake up and think about that gold medal over and over and over again. So no, Steve, I really wish that I'd done stuff in those two years. It would have helped me mentally and, you know, just, you know, made me feel a bit more, yeah, just happier, basically. Mm. And and when I did stop, no, no help. I had about three months of help that was allowed. Mm. And I, I had helped to write a CV, which was embarrassing. It was I can hit a badminton shuttle over a net, which is just <laughs> shocking. And I realised I had the CV of an 18-year-old at 31 years old. <laughs> and I just, and that made me worse. It made me, like, I was more depressed, like, it, thinking, great, that, yeah. what do I do now? Yeah, so, the CV, yeah. the CV intre- that's interesting about the CV, because I wrote my CV, mm. and it's literally just, like, sport-related, mm-hmm. like, a playoff final winner twice. Yeah, um, yeah that's yeah. it. Uh, scored 115 <laughs> goals yeah, and I'm like, how do you take this? Is this is where, where it's interesting about the transition, and what people sometimes don't understand with the transition from being in in sport all your life mm. and then transitioning into maybe like a normal job. Yeah, and the transition, did you go through like a grieving process? So I know that when I retired from football, obviously I went into prison shortly after that. So it was all a little bit as there was a lot, there was a lot going on. But there was a few years where, I don't know if you had this, Steve, there was a few years where I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like To be honest, Leon, I, when I was quite, not fortunate in a way, I finished playing for England in 2009 and had a four-year contract with Durham after that. And it was the first time I'd ever played for money. And what I mm-hmm. mean by that is yeah. probably lost, the, not the love for the sport, but I love for, for the being probably professional because it was like six months of the year and all the Durham members weren't very happy with the way I performed in the last two years of my contract. But it was the first time I'd really played for money and wasn't playing because I loved the game. The game I loved was playing for England and when the England was taken away from me. So I had that transition period out of it that comes with it. And quite fortunate when it comes to, to that, that I still had an, an earning capacity that, that goes with it. But it was a time where you're watching the TV and you're looking at, cricket on TV and you're thinking 
I don't know myself anymore because that used to be me. And you've, Gail, I can relate what you said. I feel embarrassed because I was looking down at myself, wasn't training properly, probably wasn't as being as professional as I, I should have been. I was putting loads and loads of weight on, but here I am still being a classed as a, a sportsman. And I was far from that. And that was probably my own doing than anything else. I was probably being a little bit sort of insecure with my own emotions and and not really being the professional that I probably should have been. And that's why I probably disappeared out of the game very, very quickly from a playing point of view. My worries as well, there was one thing retiring because of injury in my body, like you say, you just get to a point where you get drained, it's draining, mm -hmm. it's tiring. Yeah. Um. So there, that was all going on. But I also wasn't prepared to retire for the simple reason mm. of, from a financial element, it's not like I could just go on the golf course and just chill for a bit. Like I knew yeah. that I was going to have to work again or do something that is going to, you know, look after. I'll be all right for a couple of years, yeah. but that's not going to last. So there's financial implications where I'm like, what am I going to do? Did you have those financial worries as well in terms of retiring? Yeah, maybe it was just pure naivety. Maybe it was just this assumption that, you know, someone out there will go, oh, you know what, let's give Gail a job. You know, I, d I don't know. No one told me how the world works. It sounds so naive. And it, and when I say it, I sound stupid. And I'm going to say embarrassed again. Mm. Because I didn't know. how. I've never been in an office before. Mm. So I didn't know how that works. I don't know how you apply for a job. I don't know, you know, anything like that. And it, wow. and I, that's, how, that's why I'm so embarrassed wow. about it. And that's why, you know, we need to talk about it. Because it literally was like... Or someone not just going to give me a job? You know, someone might go, oh, I've watched Gail on TV. Or I remember, I'm a badminton fan, let's give her a job. And, and that's what I assume is going to happen. And that's when, you know, all the where you were talking about grieving, I was going through all these emotions, which we I now know is grievance, but no one told me that I was going to feel all this emotion. I was going to go up and then crash down. And mm. so I had those emotions plus the financial, oh my God, I need a job. I've mm. got a mortgage. I've got, you know, bills to pay what am I going to do? And then you think you're going to get earned money like you do when you play badminton, but then you realise you've got to start down at the bottom and someone offered me an internship but I had to get there for free. And I was like, okay, right? There was nothing. And that's why I just literally crashed because, you know, I think that's where it just hits you, isn't it? Like they say sports people die twice. And you, <laughs> I've you died do. a few times. Yeah, you've done a few I've times. Died a few times. I think I have. I think yeah, there has been a it's been a roller coaster of that uh, grievance curve, and it, it is true. It just how the hell do you get through it? And this only sports people really get it. Sports people completely understand that emotion of mm. what you're going through and at the shock. And we don't like being vulnerable. You know, I was taught not to show any weakness, and suddenly I was in a place where I needed help. I needed help because I didn't know real world. I needed mm. help because I didn't know where to go. And I needed help because of my emotions. And that's, uh, yeah, it's scary. Gail, you've spoken about your spiraling bouts of depression following your retirement from badminton. Had that surfaced while you were playing? I don't think so. Or maybe sport, we can cover it up. We're very good at covering things up, aren't mm, we, athletes? Yep. Cause like, you know, we don't like showing weakness. We don't like being vulnerable because you know what it's like, that dressing room, or especially where I was. You know, I'm playing and sparring with other players, but I kind of want to keep them down, <laughs> you know? So if there's any little things, oh, she's getting a bit good, you know, sort of any chance you can kind of just, 
yeah, make sure I smash it really hard at her or anything like that. So there was no chance of anything like that or going to a sports psychologist or going to mm. seek help. So you know what? Was I happy? Was I the happiest towards the end of my career? Not at all. But whether it was depression, I don't know. In the sense that when you say you, you wasn't happy, in what oh. sense, just because of the whole retirement situation or just. you didn't really understand what depression was? Yeah. Do you think it was depression? I think it was, yeah. I mean, this is something that, you know, is your dream. This is something that's supposed to be a privilege and an honour. And yet I was going into the sports room going, right, come on, you got this. Just, you know, having to talk myself like... I remember a Malaysian doubles guy came up to me and when I was warming up and he went, oh, you know, like, smile, you know, we're so lucky. And I just went, told him to do one, basically, jog on, mate. You know, oh, I'm in the zone. And I actually thought, you know what, he's absolutely right. Why I haven't smiled. I can't remember the last time I smiled on court. And I used to be so happy on that court. And that's when it started registering that, yeah. I get it because I had yeah. I had phases in my career yeah. where, but mainly because of triggers. So injuries and stuff were becoming quite draining for me. Therefore, I wasn't smiling as mm. much anymore. But what was your reason for maybe to stop smiling? It was the run up to Beijing and in Olympic sport that pressure. You know, people would come up to me in the in the badminton sort of British badminton centre and come up to me and go, "If you don't win a medal, then my job's gone." You know, we don't have a job. We don't have a centre. I could rant about the, the structure of UK sport and how we fund Olympic sports because I don't think it's right. I think that this is just getting silly. Mm. You know, and Adam Peaty's talked about it. It's high-pressure environment. It's not normal. Happy athletes are the best athletes. And we're creating environments now for these athletes where it's like, if you don't get gold medal, you are a failure. And that is how I felt. If I do not get gold, I have failed. I have completely failed at everything. So all my journey meant nothing if I didn't get a gold medal. I've had to do a lot of reflection on why I felt this anger, why I felt I hated my sport because I went through this. I felt such bitterness. It was horrible. I hated my sport. During? No, afterwards. Right, okay. So I didn't understand why I was feeling this. So I I've gone that. through a lot of yeah reflection yeah. and I've had a lot of people helping me understand why. And now I understand why. I would love to go into, you know, sort of badminton or other sports and, you know, sort of talk about, you know what, happy athletes, best athletes. Let's look, you know, mm. talk about this situation because it, it isn't normal, whatever. The trouble is, is the way Olympic sports are, are funded, it is a pathway conveyor belt. And once you're off the conveyor belt, they don't care anymore. You're not on the system. We've got no rights. We're not in a club. We're no contracts. We are on that conveyor belt. We've got our use. We are basically pawns in a chess game. And if we, when we finish or when we've done our job or not done our job, it's like, thank you very much. Off you go. Next one. It's different in clubs. You know, I'm actually jealous of football clubs, cricket clubs, hockey, rugby clubs, because they've got a better way of doing that for their, you know, sort of the young ones through. But with Olympic sports, it's very, very hard to is, kind of go and say a, that. Is that a money issue then? Is that, is that because you feel... Because every, you've got all that Olympic sports, you've got, how can you, it's very different from a, you know, privately educated rower to a... A 19-year-old boxer to a taekwondo to badminton. We're all so different and they want to put one programme fits all. And we and no one fits all. That's right. the problem because it's right. the UK sport and everything. Okay. So, yeah, that's where it gets difficult. Touching on the depression, you suffered panic attacks yeah. 10 months or so after you retired. Talk to me about those types of attacks and what were your worries around those panic attacks? It was just that 
we wake up every day when we're training and you battle with your ego and your insecurity, right? So you've got your self-doubt going, what are you doing? You're rubbish. You're, what are you point? You're training. Just give up. You're useless. But you have this ego and this drive that goes, you know, that shuts that voice up, right? And that's what gets us out of bed. That gets us training. That gets us going for it. That gets us pushing and achieving our goals. I didn't have anything to boost my ego, basically. I didn't have anything or anyone there to go, you know what, Gail, you're worth something. You're all right. Let's go here. Let's do something. So all I had was this voice that I am useless, that everything's been absolutely pointless. What was the point of playing badminton? It's a stupid sport. No one gives a crap, you know, and I had that constantly and over and over again. And it got to the point where I was just, just literally breaking down wherever I was I could be in a supermarket or I could be just in the park or whatever and I just I just break down and just cry my eyes out and I just curl up in a ball because really? I just I just thought yeah. what was the point of being here what is why am I here I was just this lost person just didn't know I just all I just wanted to someone to pick me up and just take me somewhere and mm. just tell me what to do it's so lonely it's so, so yeah, it's so lonely it's isn't lonely it? it's lonely loneliness it, and it, loss it and loneliness is not good really not good especially when you've got those those sports self-doubt yeah steve, steve doesn't switch off yeah. Steve yeah. Had, you've you've had the same with yeah. the lonely thoughts obviously i've took it to a level of trying to attempt my own life i don't know if you had any suicidal thoughts gail but sometimes it can go to that place where you're so lonely inside you actually feel so unhappy that you feel like life would just be better off without me because i'm so unhappy anyway yeah gail you you became pregnant with your son harry yeah um you said that changed your life it saved me yeah in what it sense? saved me because i was in that dark place oh you so know, you fell pregnant fell pregnant Shortly. yeah okay and actually thank it gave me a purpose suddenly i was like oh i'm gonna be a mum you know, and it gave me something to kind of do. I know it sounds really silly, but at least I knew that I had a, a role, a job. Yeah. You know, that honestly, that was that. You've now simple. just got the worries. Yeah, and it was, and but then everyone just assumed that I'd be like this happy Earth mother and just be at home with a baby. And I was like, oh, I was so bored. Mm, <laughs> I was really? like, oh my god, this is driving me crazy. I want to get out again. You know, <laughs> so it didn't really help after. I was like, you know, but it did help you know like I say and I'm so glad of my boys because yeah it gave me an identity just something little just you know give me a mum and I've, I kind of felt part of the real world because there were other mums and I could relate to other people suddenly I had something to talk about with other people amazing yeah Gail you, you you talk about sort of falling pregnant having having Harry you've been I would say one of the lucky ones because there are one or two who have come out of their careers especially from an Olympic point of view, I can think of track cyclist Callum Skinner, who, you know, gold and silver in, in Rio, and Craig Fallon, who was judo 2005, Olympics in 2004 and 2008. They weren't so lucky. They they took their own lives when they came out of the sport. So do you feel as though you are lucky in one sense that you managed to find a purpose in life by having children? Yeah, no, no sports people should ever be in that situation. Never you sacrifice a lot for your sport you do you give up everything you know you cannot have proper relationships you cannot have a proper life everything you do is dedicated towards winning a gold medal for your country and the fact that you come out of that 
and there is no support or there's someone who has felt that they've done what they've done is not worthy is just horrendous mm. and we are failing it cannot happen anymore it cannot happen it has to be identified earlier there has to be somewhere for an athlete to go you know what i am not happy this is not on i feel sick absolutely sick you know i when i started getting you know understanding why i felt like that i vowed if any athlete feels like that should never ever feel like that what they're doing is incredible and every single day they should smile and feel honoured and privileged and we need to help them understand that. So what, what could we do to do more though? Oh, we you have know, from to an Olympian start. point of view because you, you know you yeah. speak around the Olympians obviously so it's very different to, to most. Mm. All this and it wasn't not just sports psychology you get sent to a sports psychologist and it's there's more than that it's about life coaching, it's counselling, okay? It's counselling because you've got your other life stuff that's going on. Your sports psychology might be able to hit you, you know, able to get you to kick a ball through some post, you know, when under pressure, brilliant. But you need to talk about, I'm upset that I'm missing life. I'm upset that I'm, you know, this is, is this normal feeling like this, you know? Because we're humans, we are not robots. And that's what we need to do. And even like sort of understand the personality with psychometric tests and all that kind of stuff. And there are there will be things that identify that the ones that are on could be on the I won't say danger list. I don't want to say that, but they're the ones that you know maybe they're going to be in trouble in later on. So mm. let's get them early and just get them to help them understand stuff. So prevention, <laughs> prevention, prevention yeah, and yeah. open up. You know, make a sporting environment, a high performance environment, fun, and you can do that. You've got to get this, you've got to get this sorted. It's just all this bullying and you get all this culture, this this gold medal or nothing, you're a failure culture has got to start. Mm. We've got to look at ourselves and go, really? It's- hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
After the lights go out, Leon McKenzie and Steve Harmison in conversation with Gail Ems on Talk Sport. Gail, we spoke about your financial struggles after your career. If we can return to that, did things start to go wrong financially after you retired? Yeah, I was all right for a bit. Um, got away with you know a few talks here and there and I started working with like going into schools and talking about the Olympic journey and everything like that so I did you know that motivational speaking side and obviously 2012 came up now I obviously wasn't competing but hey I milked it <laughs> you know I was going around to the businesses there were sponsors you know because I could you know the others were training so made really good money you know sort of on that side so I was like oh this is brilliant you know I'm, I'm still you know talking about the Olympics talking about being amazing and everything and again, I got pregnant 2013 with my second and obviously Rio was coming up and I thought, you know what, it'll be all right because I just, you know, earned loads of money in uh, sort of talking about the Olympics in 2012. It will be the same for Rio. And it obviously really wasn't, you know, no one was really paying attention to Rio because it wasn't London. And suddenly, obviously, I was had two young children you know, I was applying, I thought, right, you know what, now's a good time, I've got, really got to put my CV out there and apply for some jobs. So I started in the January and sort of that year, 2016, 2017, and I must have sent about 100 CVs to different, you know, different companies. Mm. Didn't get any interviews whatsoever. And it's all right, you can you can cope for the first few months, you know, it's okay, mm. the next one, next one. And then obviously, as the months went on and on and on, I wasn't getting anything. And of course, there was no work. And I was like, I am now in trouble. I was getting very panicky and I went for this kind of job interview uh, down in London. And the guy emailed me and said, right, um, I can fit you in at 10 o'clock on this mm. day. Now, to get to 10 o'clock on this place, I had to do a peak train ticket from Milton Keynes, which was probably about £45, right? And I was just like, for my last, you know, like I scraped that money together learned everything about his company, went there, I was like, you know, this is it, the last ditch attempt really. Turned up, the guy was hung over and forgotten about me. Oh, and no. I just sat there and I looked at him and I, I thought, don't cry, just don't cry. I was, and he goes, oh, come on, just, let's just go and get some coffee. Went over the roads and I thought, right, okay, just you know, basically suck it up, girl, you've just got to get in here. Had the coffee, did the whole sales pitch, this is where I could help you, blah, 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 blah. I've, I, you know, I've worked on this campaign, worked on this campaign, everything like that. And he just turned around and he went, yeah, you know what? You should be like a sports agent or something and just walked off. No. And I went, oh my God, and he's not even paid for the coffee. <laughs> oh my and, God. And, that, and this, you know, normally, and I just went, I haven't got enough money in my account to pay for coffee. Really? Yeah. I didn't have enough oh, money. Gail. And I, and I, this is a done because you make me well off again. And it was, again, that all that emotion because we're sports people, we're strong, we're gladiators, mm. all that. You know, and I'm like, I've got to explain to them that I can only pay for one coffee and I can show them my account and I have nothing. I can pay for one coffee, I can't pay for two. Wow. And I had to go and be really embarrassed and say, this is the situation. I'm really sorry. He's walked off. I can't pay. Luckily, they were lovely. And I cried all the way home on the train as such a failure because that's how you feel. And I didn't know what to do. I honestly, so I wrote, I literally wrote, because no one knows, everyone assumes, everyone thinks you're okay, and you know, oh, it's bubbly Gail, and oh, look, you know, she's, uh, no, and I, I hadn't talked Was that at the all. low point, financially, was, mentally, yeah, yeah. and thinking, I'm gonna, I've got to go again here, try something different? Well, I just, I honestly, I was in the pits. I went home, and I wrote it all in a, like a, a bit of like a letter blog to my friend who works at, um, she was working on the Mix Zone, she's a, a journalist, Sumat, brilliant journalist. 
and I just went, please, can you put this out as a job advert? Because I don't know what to do. And she put it in her art. She put it on her. She was like, oh, my God, I had no idea. And I said, well, no one does. That's why I'm writing it. And next thing I knew, it went viral. And I had messages of support. But what the most important was, was I had messages from so many sports people going, I'm in the same situation. And that was wow. scary. Must have been hundreds, 200, I reckon. Really? Messages from like sports people. And I am financially in yeah in red or whatever and i don't know where to go no i don't i'm embarrassed because everyone assumes we're sports but you know we're the tough ones or whatever mm. and then it's the the vulnerability of admitting for help i can relate to you yeah. so honestly i can relate to you it's maybe not to the rubbish. depth of not being able to pay for a coffee yeah job wise i got to a point where i cared what i did but i had to do something I mean, could you have gone and worked in a supermarket? Could you have gone and worked in a coffee shop? Yeah. What was your level of, of understanding? Like, I need to do something, not only to feed, you know, to support myself and my children, but at the same time, from my state of mind, what was the level of job that you would have gone into? Leon, I applied. <laughs> I put my CV in there. What, I didn't get the job. What, you're, you're, <laughs> I applied at <with> supermarket. <laughs> I applied at Starbucks. I'm really? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got, no, no, I'm not joking. So you're an Olympian. Hold yeah. on, hold on. No, hold no, on, I'm not joking. On. No, no, wait, wait, wait. You're I applied, former... I applied for... Do you think they took it seriously? That's what I'm... That's why I was like, be. that's it. And I just thought, oh my God, I can't even get a job at supermarket. So I did. I, I work in hospitality and I worked in a bar, basically. And, you know, especially uh, that saved me in COVID because all, obviously all the talking events and everything got cancelled. So I worked in a bar, picking up drunk girls and cleaning up sick and, you know, sort of serving drinks. And I'm, and this is where the ego, you know, I, I want to work. I don't want to not work. I want to work. Mm. And, you know, you're serving a drink and you bring the tray of drinks over and, and this lady just looked at me and she went, I knew that badminton girl. And I went, oh, yeah, hi. She goes, oh, what are you doing doing this? Mm. You know, and I just... I've had that a few times. Yeah, and and mm. you know what? I thought, I'm proud. Like, you know what? I could be sitting on my bum and on a sofa and doing nothing, mm. you know? And I could be moaning about it or whatever. But you know what? I'm here. I'm serving your drinks and I'm really good at it, okay? So I'm helping you have a really good night and I'm proud of that. And I, I, I think... The, that's it I, I just you know it tugs at that heartstring a little mm. bit and it does you know obviously it, the, it, it hits the it ego and then you go you know what I'm doing it I'm doing it for my kids so I'm doing it for my you know my purpose I'm doing it because I know it's part of the bigger picture and that's what's important so do you think people assume that you're wealthy because you're an Olympian because I know yeah. that people have seen me play premiership football and gone into professional boxing and yeah. you're at elite level sport yeah. they assume everything's great and we're wealthy right do you think that is the same case having been been an olympian yeah and the assumptions i just think are we now know it's laziness to assume that of somebody and and social media is a great way of showing oh look i'm doing this i'm doing that but you know mm. it doesn't mean the reality mm. and i think that's what people do and we put out what we want to show you know and and it does look like i have a fantastic you know high paying <laughs> job yeah. um, but you know what I do is I do for fun and I get invited you know the reality is I love working I want to work I've just had a very strange time in that transition of mm. not knowing where and I feel I've lost probably I don't know five years I mm. feel five years of where I could have really done something girl amazing. let me ask you this let me ask you this right if you was to say to someone 
who was about to get a normal job, yeah. was in your position in a supermarket or a coffee shop. What I want to know is now that you've experienced that situation, what would you say to them? It's part of a big picture. Whatever you feel about that job right now, use it because it's going to help you in the next step. It might not be the dream job, but what can you get from it that now you will get... Uh, you will learn teamwork, you will learn skills, always ask to just absorb new things. If there's a chance of promotion or there's a chance of, you know, doing something else or anything, just grab it and use it for something, you know, the bigger picture. It's not what's going to be your... It's not the end. It's not yeah. the end, I know. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what people just think, oh, you know, that's... No, this is just right now, at this point, this is what you're doing. So use it to do whatever you want to do. Whenever. So it's not the end, guys. That's no. that's that's it. No. It's not the end. No. Don't no. think it's the when, end. Financially today, Gail, are you? How are you getting on with after COVID? Because yeah, mm. we've done a couple of sort of after dinner with dinner stuff together. That stopped during COVID, but it's starting to open open up again. Are you getting some more gigs that because you're very very good at, at hosting hosting oh, the room you. and hosting the dinners and but they're they're that must have been a struggle in COVID as well. How yeah. are you getting on now? Yeah, and I worked through, you know, like COVID was just getting, a, you know, in hospitality trying to get that through um, COVID. But now I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm actually in a, I'm not panicking. And I think the minute I can, I'm looking ahead saying, right, okay, I've got enough money for two months. Mm. Don't panic, ask for help. I know it sounds silly, but reaching out to people, I've learned to practice what I preach. So all these talks I do about, mm. you know, getting your support team and, you know, working together. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I might actually have to do that. And when you actually do it and, you know, reach out to people, go, right, okay, I've got availability November, December, let's work together on here. And they go, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you for reaching out. It's amazing what you can do when you um, open up to people. So, yeah, all good. Gil, just to go back to the last section, talked mm. about the sort of financial part of it. How did that go with sort of family and friends and obviously your partner at the time? Did that put a strain on it? Was it the the reason why everything sort of broke up? Yeah. Um, so I split with my children's dads in COVID actually, so two years ago. And I think that he has struggled just as much as I struggled. And this is something that as athletes, you know, I am so goddamn stubborn it's ridiculous you know I'm very much 50 50 I'm gonna pay my own way I don't need I'm not gonna be a kept woman you know I'm I'm properly like yeah I'm one of those so when I first retired I think he basically just thought oh thank goodness she's gonna chill out you know as partners of sports people they go through all the emotions that we go through so if we win we lose you know everything's going right injuries they they bear it as well so he just thought, hallelujah, she's going to be a nice person now. <laughs> and obviously it was the opposite because suddenly, you know, you go through the identity and everything like that. And he just didn't get it at all. He just looked at me in sheer horror, like, what have you turned into? You're worse than you were as a sports person. And we went through a lot and obviously ended up pregnant. And again, he thought, amazing. Thank goodness she's going to turn into this earth mother and everything. And... You know, I never fully found myself. And when COVID hit, it just reignited all those failure, rejection, vulnerability, frustration. Where am I going? Lost, you know, all this sort of thing. And he just looked at me. I remember he looked at me one day and went, why don't you just go for a walk and appreciate nature? And I just thought, 
you don't know me, do you? And I just thought, oh my God. So that it. felt quite condescending. It just felt like it's not me. Mm. I'm still finding me. I'm still working out me and this, you know, what I've put everything into, you know, being something, doing something, having that purpose and, and just to go, yay, look at a tree. I just thought I've got to get out of here. I've got to find myself again. And, and, you know, he's seen how I've battled with everything and, but he can never fully understand Mm. it's heartbreaking and and i am going through that guilt as well you're I'm, going through i'm guilt. going through the guilt that i've put him through it so did you not try and make him understand do you think they can oh sorry i feel like we're se- separating ourselves from like non-sports people but that's how i feel i don't know if non-sports um, people can fully understand what we're going sports through. people no i agree but i don't know it's a hard one because mm. when, I'm go- when we're yeah. going through it at the time we don't even understand ourselves. Exactly. No, that's the thing. We don't, we, we understand, don't understand exactly. ourselves. Exactly, yeah. We're yeah. living the dream. So to say to someone, to moan or complain or to mm. say to someone, I'm not happy, they're like, oh my goodness, how can you moan? You're travelling the world, you're playing a sport, representing your country, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so you just feel guilty for even saying it. But you're right, it, it should be something that... You know, and I should have, yeah, and probably could have. I just didn't know how to. Maybe being at stubbornness and a bit of that ego going, mm. they should get me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how do they not understand me? You know, being that. And today, you where you're at, or where you want to be? Single, woo! <laughs> God help the world. I'm loving those dating apps. They is. are awful. Yeah, she is. <laughs> and I scare the hell out of every single date dating that apps. I go on. Dating honestly. Apps. I swear I intimidate every guy. They just look at me and go, oh my good God. I'm like, come on, let's arm wrestle. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they run away. What sort of CV you got up on the, on the dating apps? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to know. Uh, hi, I'm Gail. <laughs> Love sport. <laughs> it's just, Amazing. It's awful. But no, I'm I'm okay at the moment. It's all good. It's fun and games. Yeah, yeah. No. So Gail, if you're to look over your career, you go back, do you have any regrets? You know, you got to elite levels. I was told that I wasn't naturally talented, not skillful, and I would never make it as an Olympian or a good badminton player. Who said that? Uh, the head of British badminton at eight, when I was 18 years old. Did you ever go back and revisit him? I have. And, had, what, and what was the conversation? Yeah. <laughs> Hiya, do you want to see my medals? <laughs> I would I, went, I turned up in full Olympic tracksuit. I was. It's brilliant that though, Gil, isn't it? When you say to somebody, yeah, show me your medals. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But you know what? I was the best badminton player that I could be. Mm. And you know what? I've had moments where I've regretted stuff, probably Mm. because of, you know, the way possibly I haven't managed to get over what I've achieved or, you know, all these little things. Mm. But right now I can say I was the best badminton player that I could be. And to say that as an athlete... Is, is incredible because so many players don't get to be the best mm. for you know they could be manager selection they you don't get on the manager or they get injured so they never ever get to reach their potential i overachieved i overachieved my potential do you still love badminton no i've never loved badminton i loved winning <laughs> so you've never loved bab- you've I never loved actually winning. loved the sport no i loved winning wow yeah it was that was my love being i remember and this is ego, and this is what I'm loving learning about my ego as well. I remember being seven years old and playing a tournament, like an under-11 tournament, and I got to the final, and it wasn't about the shots or anything. It was beating girls that were older than me. 
such an incredible feeling. So you could have actually been in another sport, yeah. but if he was good at it yeah. and winning, you yeah. would have been happy with that totally, as well. Totally, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I know, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you just, just the winning thing. I that... love it. <laughs> it's really no, great. And that was my fuel. That was my motivation. And Gail, yeah. for badminton, you got an MBE. Yeah. What was your experience in, of that in meeting Her Majesty the Queen? I think for me... I didn't feel like I deserved it. I don't think I, I don't know anyone or their thoughts on sports people getting it, but I was it was my job to do, and I was in a room with like women and men and women who'd given up fifty years of charity work and you know and all this, and I was like, oh my god, I hit a shuttle over in that. I still don't think I deserve my MBE. That's why I do the stuff I do, you know, to go to schools and and do that because I I don't think I fully deserved it. But for me, it was for my mum and dad because mm. it was their sacrifice of you know taking me here there and everywhere to every tournament it was their money that they bought the badminton rackets it was their time i understand that that's what it was for mm. you know for me i don't feel like it was mine it's there but that's kind of winning as well though isn't it that's a yeah. win that's still like a winning nature because it's you know for your parents mm. and everything they've put into you it was like a thank you to yeah, them right thank you, definitely. but your winning mentality is standing out for me being that you love to win everything mm. How's that possible if you're a Spurs fan? <laughs> just, oh, <laughs> why didn't you just hit me? Now? I mean, I'm just, conv- you know, you love winning. There so. is a little bit of, uh, yes, there is a little bit of problem in that. Gailey's waited 55 I know, minutes to say that. I know, fair play. <laughs> That's my mum's fault, that is. Absolutely I mean, my mum's fault. She's put, put the curse now. of a Spurs fan on me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Explain that. Explain to our listeners why you are a Spurs fan you right. were didn't you yeah so my mum was one of the first Lionesses so my mum played in the 1971 Women's World Cup when Oof. the FA told uh, FIFA that women shouldn't be playing football and my mum was part of a maverick team that went out there she was 19 years old played in the Azteca Stadium Mexico City 70s, in, front of, in the 70s in 71 yeah she played uh, in front of 85,000 people scored two goals my mum's very few British people that scored in the Azteca Stadium striker yeah sent it forward my mum Came back, she got banned from the FA for six months for playing. Yeah, because they said, no, women should not be playing football. And that's 51 years ago. So my oh, mum wow. grew up in Arsenal territory, right? So she could see Highbury Stadium out of her window. All her brothers and uh, parents all supported Arsenal. So my mum supported Spurs to annoy them. It's you, unbelievable, isn't it? What, you know, are, when you look at women's football exactly. today to when you, you look at your mum, yeah. ja- Janice. Jan, yeah, yeah. Jan, you know, getting banned for six months and then... It's just ridiculous, isn't it? When you think about it now, and this is why, you know, for me, watching women's sport, you know, just enjoy it. You know, don't compare it. If I played against Nathan, my mixed doubles partner, okay, I wouldn't win a point. All right. That doesn't mean that I'm rubbish. Mm. Okay. It means I'm the best girl. I'm still the best girl. I'm better than all those girls. But when you put me against a a boy, I'm going to lose. I won't even get a point. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean I'm rubbish. Before we let you go, I want to touch on some of the the great things that you, know, you achieved in the reason why you got an MBE. And I, I disagree sometimes when sports people say I didn't deserve it because the reason you go into these schools, the reason you are um, talked about in the high echelons is because you've worked so hard, you've given everything, but you've also given inspiration to other people. Agreed. And I think sports people get them because of that. 2004, Athens, Olympics, you mentioned Nathan there a second. Silver medal. So proud. We weren't going into that Olympics expecting a medal. We were an outside chance of bronze and just the way it all happens. And we were suddenly in an Olympic final. It was up against China. They're really good at badminton. <laughs> the reigning champions um, from Sydney. And 
we got thrashed in the first game and I just remember thinking this is horrendous I want to like I want the world to just like eat me right now and we won the second and then in true plucky British style we were winning in the third and then decided to lose and uh, we were three points away from that gold medal I remember that feeling on that podium just looking up at the gold medal position and just thought Nah, I'm going to be on there next. But you did win a gold medal. I did, yes. And that was in the 2006 Commonwealth Games yeah. in Melbourne, right? Melbourne and then the World Championships as well. So we won European Championships, Commonwealth Games, World Championships. The only thing we didn't win was uh, Olympic gold. So we won everything else. We won the All England, which is like the equivalent of Wimbledon, China Open, everything. It was just that Olympic gold. God damn it. Well, I mean, that's why the NBA stands for yeah. what it stands. You've achieved... A tremendous amount i think you should be super proud i think to you know tonight you've been super honest and you've been through a roller coaster of emotions and things that happened that one of the reasons why we we got together and, and we do this program is because like you say a lot of people don't hear the outside yeah. things that happen you know with the up and down roller coaster in our careers and you know it's really commendable for you to come on and, and speak so open and honestly but gal Future ambitions. So where is Gail M's, you know, in the next couple of years? What's your future plans? What's going on? Apart from taking over the world, obviously. <laughs> um, mean, you know, got my uh, Dr. Evil chair right now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? And this is something, again, old Gail, when I say older, in the past Gail would have gone, oh, I want to do this. And, you know, straight away that ego would have, you know, I've got to achieve here. Right here, right now, I'm down here. Now I've got to get up to that, you know, ladder. Otherwise, I'll feel like a failure. Right now, I know that that's not good for me to think like that mm. because if I don't get there, then I feel like a failure, and I feel like, you know, and I start that, uh, you know, my head goes again. So I, right now, I'm going to take every day as it comes. Just love learning more stuff about, you know, how I work helping other people do more school stuff the talks about ego and and you know olympics and just enjoying it and i think yeah it's hard for me it's not easy <laughs> it really really isn't well, i'm definitely but gonna buy you a coffee after this innings, so thank don't worry about you that don't worry about that <laughs> i got you i got you thank you very much but yeah thank no you. these conversations are what keep me going and thank you. Um, on, yeah on behalf of everybody listening you've been an absolute superstar tonight Amazing. On behalf of me and Leon, it's been a, a great experience listening to the story of the wonderful Gail Ems, and we thank you very, very much. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.